Is that better? Hey, you can hear me. Good morning. Um, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. My name is David. Um, I am one of the pastors here. We have a co-pastorate here at Hope Church. Ruben here will be teaching our Spanish service in the next hour. Um, praise the Lord for what he's doing. He's led us as a body to be one body, one fellowship uh, with two languages, as you saw as we were singing. But no matter what language we sing in, we have one God and one spirit that hears us in the one hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So that, that is who we are as a church, Hope Church Iglesia Esperanza. So glad you could join us this morning. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is the abundant life that Jesus was talking about that he was bringing in him being here on this earth? What is that abundant life? I'd, our third child, Charlie, um, recently has been kind of wrestling through what is eternity, trying to get his 10-year-old brain around, around these ideas of living forever and, and what that's like. And, and as he's trying to think about it, he's going, is that even such a good idea? Do I really want to live forever? And, and he's, I think it's profound for a 10-year-old to realize that, that there's difficulties in life. Do I want this to continue forever? I, I certainly love being alive right now, but to think of that going on forever... Um, there's a movie. I, I married into uh, a quote, <laughs> a relationship that's able to quote every single line of Princess Bride. <laughs> and there, there's a particular line that begins, maybe some of you know, uh, begins with, you mock my pain, followed by, life is... Pain, your highness. I don't know how many of you can quote that movie. My wife can quote everything, down to how many laughs before the guy keels over. Um, life is pain. We laugh about that, but there's some truth to that in our experience. That life is pain. He says, life is pain, your highness. If anyone, say, uh, if anyone doesn't say, what, what, what is it? If anyone tells you differently, see, my wife can. If anyone tells you differently, they're selling something. And that, that's our experience in this life. Life is pain. My, my older son, Andy, I'm going to pick on him back there because uh, he's talking. No. <laughs> my older son, Andy, uh, he asked me the other day, and he's really into being fit. He's a very fit young man. Uh, you can ask him sometime how many chin-ups he does every day. Um, but he asked me, Dad, is it possible to be perfectly healthy? perfectly healthy, and I had to give him the bad news that we live in sin, and from and the only people that we could consider having been perfectly healthy were Adam and Eve, the way God made them originally, but sin entered the world when they fell. It's impossible to be perfectly healthy. In, in fact, what we're going through in Ephesians is, is the truth that we're born dead in our sin, and we're constantly, no matter how healthy you get, we see the evidence of that as just, we're deteriorating, we're getting old, and, and, and we recover slower and slower. I'm starting to discover that. You know, I can do the same things I used to do, it just takes a lot longer to recover. 
Life is pain. So what is this abundant life that Jesus was talking about? Well, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and we're continuing in that this morning, and and we've been going over just God's plan of his love towards us. Uh, and and just we've we've talked about his his love towards us and his intent to to make us holy and blameless before him to to bring us into his family to adopt us as his own and and these incredible truths that we've been unpacking of 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 God's purpose to make two peoples Gentiles and Jews no longer these two peoples but one people in Him and not just a new nation uh, but a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and this body that we have now in this church is, is what God has brought together. The life that Jesus was talking about, the abundant life, is life in God's family. That is the abundant life, and, and it's not perfect now, but this is, this is an eternal life, and we're getting to taste now the abundant life that is in God's family, something for us to understand and experience even now. Um, we've gotten to know the Ashburn family a little bit more recently. Uh, they're one of the families in our church here. They're, they're with us this morning. And I asked them permission to share some of their story this morning. Um, they, after having four uh, children of their own, God put it on their heart to adopt and, and they followed the Lord in that and ended up adopting three beautiful children from Haiti. And as they described what that was like, the process, it was not an easy process. Um, and, uh, and, and Ben was telling me about it, and he said, that, you know, that even after all that initial work to get prepared for it, uh, the rules in Haiti was that they had to come out there for two weeks and be there with the children. And he was telling me about that experience. They had, they had separate housing for their family, but every day during those two weeks out there, they spent with uh, the children in the orphanage there in, in Haiti. Um, and so they're trying to bond with these three children who are, who are all siblings, um, but they've got 50 other children or so that are all you know, vying for their attention at the same time. Um, and Ben was telling me that, that by the end of those two weeks, they were absolutely exhausted. Um, and, and even then, uh, they had to leave and leave the children there. And they wouldn't be able to come get the children for, for a little over a year after that point. And so I, I think partway through that, Jennifer was able to fly out there with her daughter partway through. Um, but finally, uh, a year and a half ago about, they were able to bring the kids home. Give them the Ashburn name, invite them into their house as, as uh, a daughter and two boys, right? Um, and new siblings into the household. And I remember uh, Ben, I, I, could, I could almost hear the memory of the dismay in his voice as he described what that initial intro into the house was like. He said, it was like we had wild animals let loose into our home. They didn't speak English, and their whole experience in life had been uh, just surviving within this orphanage in Haiti. They didn't really have people telling them what you can and can't do. Um, while there was joy, I'm sure, among the Ashburn family, there was probably also fear there as everything was completely new and different for these kids. 
And that began an effort of love, really, for the whole Ashburn family to love on these new members of their family, which now, a year and a half later, uh, we see the fruit of the love that they have been pouring into these kids. And it hasn't been an easy journey. Um, Do you see the parallel? God didn't, didn't just send his son to the brokenness of, of an orphanage in Haiti. He sent his son into a world uh, broken by sin. In fact, that describes us as slaves to sin. He, he sent his son into our situation. And, and while they spent two weeks there within that situation of the orphanage, uh, Jesus put on humanity. And, and it's more like if, if the Ashburns had to actually become orphans themselves in going over there and experiencing that with, with their new family members, Jesus put on our weakness. Jesus experienced our temptation. He experienced everything that we have in this broken world, and yet he was without sin. And for the Ashburns, it cost them to adopt out of that orphanage. For Jesus, he laid down his life to pay the price to rescue us out of slavery to sin. His own blood is what it cost to purchase our life out of that. And so now, um, just as the Ashburn children were introduced into a new life, they, they, they had a new life. They were Ashburns now. They had a new name. We have a new name in Christ. We're, we're his beloved. Look, we covered that at the beginning of Ephesians. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. I wanna look at that again. Uh, what did I give you on the slides? Go ahead and put that up. How far back? Um, in, ch- in verse five, I believe. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse five says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will in the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved, in his son Jesus Christ, in the beloved. Now we are his beloved just as Jesus was his beloved. We have that name. We are his beloved children. And so now here we are. In this family, what do we know? What comes naturally to us? What, what is the, the form of life that, that we have experienced and what we're going to act in? It's everything that we knew before. We are like wild animals let loose within God's household. That is us. And there is a whole new way of life that God has for us, and that is the abundant life that Jesus was talking about, and it's not what comes naturally. It is not what comes naturally. So God has new life for us, and what does he say? I can imagine some of the first conversations, they they couldn't even speak the same language in Ashburn family at first, so it was difficult to say, here's the rules of this household. They had to point, I'm sure. Lots of pointing going on there. Um, What does God tell us now? Let's let's look in Ephesians chapter five in verse one and two. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. Imitate the Father. 
Does it, in this new life that I have for you, look to me. You don't understand it because it's completely foreign and different from what you've, done, you've had before. Look to me, the Father. Be imitators of God as beloved children. You are my beloved children. Look at me. Look at what I do and follow my lead. And what else does he say? Does in walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm sure this was the same in the Ashburn family. Sorry guys for really using your story here. The, the Ashburn kids were an example of how to walk, how to please mom and dad. For us, we have only one child in this family who, who gets it who fully walks in a way pleasing to the Father, and that's Jesus himself, our brother Jesus in this family. And so walk in the way that Jesus does. Look, the way he acts, his love is pleasing to the Father. It's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So two instructions given to us here is is to be imitators of the Father and to follow the example of Christ. And it is completely alien to us. We have to get that. That what we know is not the abundant life. But God has to teach it to us. We saw that, uh, we saw that a couple of weeks ago um, in chapter 4, verse 18, uh, when he's saying, don't, don't walk as you used to uh, back when you were under bondage in this world, but and, and so when he was saying that in verse 18 of chapter 4, he said, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That was us, alienated from the life that God has for us. We can't expect coming into this family that we just know what the abundant life is. It's something that we're going to have to learn. So this morning... We're going to go through uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, actually end a section that began in verse 25. And uh, the last time we were in Ephesians, I had intended to finish out chapter 4 and, and uh, didn't even come close. Um, I think God kept me from that so that we could go through these verses uh, together this morning and look at seven things, if you'd like filling in blanks, I've got a lot of them for you this morning. To look at seven things that, that are behaviors of this new family. The family of God and, and what it is to walk in the family of God and live in this new way. Before we get into that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for rescuing us. God, as the ones who have been bought out of bondage into your light and brought into your family, God, It's with joy that we look forward to what you have for us, the life that you have for us. God, at the same time, I confess that it's difficult for us. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. And there's there's fear involved. There's real fear involved as we look at what you have for us because we don't understand it. and We're still learning to trust you, God. I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to your word of truth. God, it wouldn't be me, David, speaking my ideas, but I would just be bringing your word forward. God, let your word work powerfully in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right. The first truth about what it's like to live an abundant life in God's family is that we speak the truth. We speak the truth here. Let's look in verse 25 of chapter four. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is part of imitating God. Jesus, when he was praying for the disciples, said, uh, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. See, God, truth itself is defined by the word of God. God spoke everything into existence. Everything that is, is because he spoke it. God in his nature is true. And, and what we come out of is the opposite of that. See, remember in Ephesians chapter two that it described us as, as being dead in our sin, following uh, the prince of, of the air, following Satan and his guidance. And what is he described as? He's the liar and father of lies. It's, it's, it's deception and, and untruths. And, and deception usually has an element of truth in it, but it's corrupt. There's something wrong with it. There's a lie underlying. It's not fully truth. And it's, it's almost hilarious sometimes um, just how much of a struggle, and, and I came across this, this passage as I was going through our, our devotions for the week uh, in Exodus. Um, Moses had just given the Ten Commandments to, to the Israel, and, and they had all said, yes, we are going to obey these commandments. And then Moses goes off to Mount Sinai, and no sooner is he gone, and they say, oh, is he ever coming back? And then they demand of Aaron, Aaron, who God had called there right alongside Moses, you'd think a man who would stand for the purpose that God had put. And they, and, and they called to Aaron and said, you need to make us a God to follow, a God that will lead us into, into the promised land. They're breaking the very first rule of the Ten Commandments. You should now have no other gods before me right away. Just, just terrible failure. And so Aaron... Does he stand up and say, no? <laughs> no, he says, okay. He's a pushover. He says, okay, bring me all your, your gold earrings and everything, and they make a fire. And it describes how he, he used tools uh, to craft this, <clears throat> this idol. And so he, he put something into this to create this idol, and then, and then just the blasphemy of the statement to say, here is the God that brought you out of Egypt. So just terrible brokenness and sin that, that they're in, and then Moses comes back. What are you doing here? <laughs> and Aaron struggles a little bit with giving the whole truth of the matter. And, and there's this one verse uh, in, in Exodus chapter, uh, what did I put? Exodus. Uh, chapter 32 and verse 24. What does he say? He says, so I said to them, he's giving an account of what happened between him and the Israelites, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> oh, come on. But we do that, don't we? We can't speak the truth. 
Because the truth is light, and the truth reveals our sin. We don't like that. It's not comfortable for our sin to be revealed, but that is truth, and that's, that's part of being this family, is to be walking in truth. How is it that we're able to walk in truth? Well, because Jesus has paid for our sin. I don't have anything to hide anymore. My righteousness is not because of of what I have on my own. It's because of what Christ has given me. And and I'm being told, put aside that old self. So that old self, I am happy to to bury that with Christ. And and when that old self comes back and I start walking in that again, boy, I I want to put light on that. I want to reveal that. I want to speak truth around that and say, no, that is not what I want to walk in. That is... Christ has paid for already on the cross. I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to walk in truth. In this family, we walk in truth. So what is it when a family, when a body is walking in freedom, walking in victory, and every moment that anything comes up that, oh, I've got failure here, we, we are quick to confess it and to speak truth over it and say, no, I was wrong there. That, that behavior of mine was wrong. And that Christ has paid for on the cross. What is that? That's life. That's real life. And, and sustained and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's abundant life. We walk in truth. We speak truth. No exaggeration, nothing to hide. We speak truth in this family. All right, the second thing that we do in this family is we thwart the adversary. We thwart the adversary. Ephesians chapter four and verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, we have an adversary. And there are certain things that provide fuel for him, that give him a foothold in this body, give him a foothold in our lives. And and one that's described right here is anger. See, when I'm angry, then then the liar and father of lies is able to come in and, and just encourage all of these thoughts about myself and about those around me and start to to bring division. In this family, we're quick to resolve. Don't don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve it quickly. Confess it before Christ. Go to the one that you're angry about and say, we need to be right, not just because we need to be right and walk in life, but we don't wanna give opportunity to our adversary, the devil. There's other things that are, that are those breeding grounds where, where Satan is able to get a foothold and do things. It's when we have isolation, when we're by ourselves and, and not in fellowship with other believers. That, that's a, an environment Satan loves to work in. We start thinking, and the way that we think, it starts going in every possible negative way. We, we think worst case scenario. Those are those nights we're not able to fall asleep the way things might be, the way things could be, 
Uh, and, and, you know, that person looked at me funny. And, I, and really, in the end, I find out it had nothing to do with me. But for a whole day, I am messed up because of these thoughts and isolation. No, we, we speak to each other, communicate with each other. Another area that, that God, and these are things in my own life, unconfessed sin. We're holding on to a sin. And, and we're hiding in that. Boy, Satan loves to just use that as a foothold in your life. And, and he'll speak all sorts of things. Are, are you sure you're a Christian? How can you call yourself a Christian and, and you have this in your life? And the truth of God's word saying, you are my beloved. I have, I have adopted you into my family. You have my name. And yes, you, you are, you're in brokenness and you don't get it yet and, and you're tearing up the household, but you are mine. That's the truth that Christ is speaking into us. But, but when we have unconfessed sin and we're holding on to it, then that gives a foothold for the enemy to speak the opposite. Say, you're not really a legitimate child in this family. We need to be quick. Quick to, to thwart the adversary in this family. All right, the, the next one is that our arrows point outward. And you have to excuse my engineering mind on this one. I wanna draw a whiteboard and put me in the middle and, and the people around me as these circles and then the arrows either go out or they come in. You know, what, what, what am I depicting there? What are the efforts of my life accomplishing? Are they, are they to benefit those around me? Or are they to take something from those around me and benefit myself? And you kind of have an extreme example of that here. Um, If we go and the transformation that's in, in this life that we have in Christ, in verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal. That, that's kind of the ultimate, you know, I have no care for those around me. I am just looking for what I can steal from them and take from them. That's the thief. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Going from being a person who is just only looking for what they can take to a person who's investing in honest work for the purpose of blessing those that are around me. You might say, well, I'm not really a thief, so do I really identify this? Well, how many ways? Let me put it real basic. How many times have I walked into a room and, and, and stolen the joy out of the room by my attitude? I'd, I'd call that being a thief. Was that mine to take because I'm having a bad day that I'm going to just suck the joy out of the room? Or how about the times? This is one that I continually need to work on with my wife. How many times do I, do I leave work behind you know, oh, the, the dishes, they, they need to be done, but boy, I'm tired, so I can't really do that. Leaving something for her to do. I've taken something from her for my own benefit. It's just, it, it's constant, and, and, and we're in this, this world of our own tiredness, and, and it's difficult when, when, especially with my wife and I, we've been in two different worlds for a time, not able to communicate, and we come back together, and we need the other person to hear us. Because, because we're, we're needing some, some inward arrow. <laughs> but we're both needing that. What do we have in this family that's abundant life? We have a giant arrow that's feeding into us. 
It's the power of God, the Spirit of God empowering us so that we can invest and love those around us. What is it when you have a body that's just, you know, let me bless you. No, let me bless you. It, it, it's kind of funny, even after um, 22 years of marriage, 20, almost 22, boy. <laughs> so I don't know if it was the fifth year or the 15th. Um, yes, almost 22 years of marriage. Um, we still all text her and say, I love you. And she'll say, I love you more. And then you get into that goofy, you know, I love you more. And that, that's goofy, but what if our actions show that? You get home, you must be tired. Let me rub your feet. No, no, you, you must be more tired than I am. Let me rub your feet. What is it when a family, when a body is just, is so focused, all of my efforts on how can I bless you? That's life. And when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, so truly we have every sustenance we need to invest in those around us, that's abundant life that we have in the Lord. All right, the next, and the next behavior in this family, this abundant life in God's family, is that we speak grace. Look with me in Ephesians 4, verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. How we talk, controlling the tongue. We could do a whole sermon on the tongue. And there's giant passages of scripture that, that speak about dealing with the tongue. If, if you wanna look into it more, I love James chapter three. That's a place to go to just talk about how great a fire is put, set ablaze by, by such a small member of our body. And, and just these convicting passages about how with the same mouth I bless the Lord and then I curse people in the image of God. And I think about what's come out of my mouth speaking of people. And that includes everyone who is human on this world. The Bible tells us was created in the image of God. It says, can, can fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? What's coming out of our mouth? How great an impact can just one word have on the life of a person? I still remember, as a kid, hurtful words said by a friend. How ridiculous is that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words hurt deeply, and they're carried for a long time, what's coming out of our mouth? We have to be so careful. And it needs to be full of grace. Full of grace. Following that, that passage, uh, following that verse in verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, now the immediate context to that verse is, is the previous one, speaking about how we control our words. Um, I think probably this is speaking of kind of the whole picture as well. Uh, I can imagine uh, for the Ashburns, um, there was grief. When they had new people in the house that were not acting in the way that, that the Ashburn family life, the new life that was there to be had in that household, uh, they weren't acting according to that way. And so, and so there was real grief. We have the Holy Spirit's seal upon our lives. We covered that at the beginning of Ephesians, that, that when we believe, God puts his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee of our inheritance with Christ on our life. The Holy Spirit's kind of like this living you know, adoption papers, it's a, he, he's said it, that you are now my child. That, that's sealed in the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, there is a person. This is a great verse for, for doctrine of the Trinity, that, that God is one God, three persons, and each person is fully God. Here we have proof that the Holy Spirit is a person because he can be grieved. And he has set his seal on our life and we're not acting according to the life that, that God has for us in this new family. Then we grieve the Holy Spirit. Saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And boy, how our words can cause that. One thing we say could set a fire among the whole body that grieves the Holy Spirit. So what is it when you have a body who is careful with their words, who intentionally speaks grace into those around them, recognizing that, that we're all still figuring this out. We're still all these wild animals within the body of, of, of God's family, and, and we're trying to figure this out and trying to follow Christ's, Christ's leading and, and God's example and and. We should be speaking grace into each other's lives. What is that? That's life. And in the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain it, it's abundant life. All right, next. Our behavior in this, in this family is that we are peacemakers. And that's not the, the operative word in the next verse. It's kind of the opposite. Um, in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness... And wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I think he was just digging. He must have had a thesaurus back then. He was just digging for how many ways he could describe what is, what is bondage, bitterness. To hold on to bitterness? Well, that's death. Wrath. To hold on to wrath. Anger. Clamor, that's, that's, just, that's just noisy chaos. What else? Slander, speaking ill of each other, slandering each other. Put that away. All, all malice, ill intent, evil intent. Just, just get rid of that. What replaces it? Peace. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for what? They shall be called the sons of God. That's what we are. Part of his family. We're peacemakers. We speak peace. We set aside all of that. Bitterness. We don't need to be carrying that. 
and lay all of that at the cross of Jesus Christ. And what is it when we don't carry bitterness, when we don't stay up late mulling over how we're going to just give that zinger back to that, that other brother or sister or even someone outside of the body? When, when we take our anger and, and instead we, we take it to the Lord and then we go to that person we're angry at and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm carrying this anger against you. What is that when we become peacemakers? It's life. And in the power of the Holy Spirit sustaining it, it is abundant life and peace. Boy, how I want peace. We live in a world that's anything but peaceful. All right, the next behavior is that we are kind and tenderhearted. I kind of put two together there. They're, they go together. Um, Ephesians uh, 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Kindness. I imagine in the Ashburn family, there was great need for kindness as, as language barrier was there and, and just... Patience was tested. Um, the difficulty, I can't imagine the course over the last year and a half that you guys have, have taken to, to respond in kindness when you're just frustrated. And tenderness, understanding that, that this person doesn't, they're not there yet where, where you want them to be. They're, they're working right, right where they're at right now, and we've got to come alongside that and, and in kindness and tenderness, help them. Not just not judging, not, not coming in and just, and just saying, how, how dare you in this family act that way? No. You realize all of these things we're covering, we all break them. We don't, we don't follow all of this. this. This is the life that God has for us. It's a goal out there. And so we're gonna look around us and see in every person how we're not following this. Boy, you needed to be kind to me. Show that person kindness back. Kindness and tenderness, lifting each other's up. What, what is it? when a family is constantly responding to each other in patience, gentleness, kindness. Even when the, the same offense has been repeated over and over again, still coming alongside, no, this isn't the life that God has for us. There's something so much better. Here, look, this is what God has for us. That's life. And in the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain it, it's abundant life. It's what God has for us in this family. All right, the final one. In this family, we forgive each other. How important is this? In this family, we forgive each other. The finishing out that verse. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus is our example. We already established that at the beginning. He, he's the one we're following, his example, his forgiveness. What does 1 John 1, 9 says? It says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's ready immediately. 
We confess something to Christ, he's ready there to forgive us. And why is he just in doing that? Because he's already paid the price for our sin. That's already done. And so we can, we can get rid of that quickly. So are we following Christ's example in that respect, that when someone comes to us and says, I have sinned, that our immediate response is right there along with Christ, to forgive. And, when, and forgiveness it doesn't keep an account. We, we can't bring stuff up from the past that we've forgiven, because then, then that's evidence you, we never really let go of that. that. That was never really forgiven. When Christ forgives, it's done. He says, I'm just in saying that's paid for because I have already paid for it on the cross. Let's move on. That's not who you are. Forgiveness. What is it when we are a people quick to reconcile, quick to confess? This goes along with not allowing an opportunity for the devil. Because when I'm holding on to something and, and I've, got, I've got sin or I've got anger, I've got something against my brother or sister, maybe it's even just they've offended me and, and now I'm just holding this against them. To say, no, I need to reconcile that. I need to confess that. I need to say, let's get this right. Let's not give an opportunity to the devil to come and step into this and, and cause trouble in our body. But instead... Let's be quick to confess and quick to forgive. What is that when you have a body that acts that way? That's life. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, sustaining that in us is abundant life. Praise the Lord for the life that we have in Christ. So we are a wild bunch. That's the truth. We are like wild animals let loose in God's house compared to the standard of Jesus. So what does the Father say? Let's read it again. Finally, in chapter five, verse one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God, the Father, as beloved children, and walk in love. That's all of this together, that's, that's love. We talked about speaking truth. Weeks ago, we spoke about what is the ministry that we all share together is to, is to speak truth and love. It's a ministry of truth and love, building each other up in Christ. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God the Father. That's what it is to have abundant life in this family. And boy, my prayer is that we would walk in that. Hmm. How do we become a part of this family? If you're not a part of the family of God, and I'm not talking about Hope Church. I'm talking about God's family as a whole, which includes every body of believers that calls on the name of Jesus. How do you become a part of the family? Well, it's by faith. Do you believe that, that you're a sinner? That, that everything I've described about what we're coming out of, that God has, has sent his son to rescue us out of, do you, do you see that that is the truth? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? That his payment on the cross was enough 
to atone for your sin, to be a payment. His blood paid for our sins so that we can have forgiveness. And is it the desire of your heart to follow Jesus Christ, the risen Lord? Well, that's faith. And God says, by faith, you're saved. It's nothing you bring to the table. It's, it's what God has done on your behalf. And I would encourage you, if that's you, and, and, and you haven't yet, tell somebody. Confirm that by speaking it out loud. And God has given us uh, an amazing way to really testify and, and, and follow him and, and, and tell the world, I am a follower of Christ, and that's baptism. Baptism is, is where uh, we go down into the water. It's like a big dunking. You go down in the water and you raise back up again. And it symbolizes that my life, that old life, who I was before, has been buried with Christ. And that water symbolizes even the judgment of God over my sin. And, and, and I'm not going through it alone. I'm going through it in Christ. And in Christ, just as Christ was, was buried and, and died, my old self is put to death. And then just as Christ was raised from the dead, I am raised out of that water. And it symbolizes the new life that I have in Christ. And the life that we've been talking about, which is the abundant life in God's family. If you've never followed Christ in baptism, we are baptizing this afternoon. And would love you to be a part of that. Um, I'm gonna be over here um, after service. Uh, if, if you wanna be baptized, come talk to me. If, if you still have questions about, about what it is to trust Christ and what it is to be saved, then, then come talk to me as well. We have a good father in this family. An incredibly good father. Father, you are good, good father. God, and, and we just, we declare this morning the truth that you have given us that we are your beloved children. And God, we want to speak that to each other. To love each other in the same way that you're loving us even right now. God, I lift up our body to you. God, I lift up the city to you. Those who call on your name and those, God, who are seeking. God, that you would call more to yourself. And that as we bring people into this body, we're coming from the same place we came from, that we would just wrap around them in love. And show them, day after day, what it is to follow you and the life that you have for us as we ourselves have our eyes on Jesus and are learning what it is to live the abundant life. We commit this, this day into your hands, God, and this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.